Welcome to episode four of Everything EOS. I'm Zach Gall, an ICO data analyst at ICO Alert, and I'm here today with Rob Finch, our co-founder and CEO. Thanks again for joining us on this weekly podcast where we talk about what we think is a really innovative project in the blockchain space. Now, keep in mind that we're not being paid to make this. This is not a sponsored episode. We're simply excited members of the community who hold EOS tokens ourselves. Uh, as a quick disclaimer, uh, this is not intended to be legal, financial, tax, professional, or any other kind of advice. We're simply passionate about EOS and the technology behind it. Uh, and as a final note, like I mentioned, we both do hold EOS tokens, so that's our final note of disclaimer there. On today's podcast, we will be discussing a recent announcement by Wax, who will be building a custom blockchain and protocol token using a variant of EOS, and they're using it to serve a $50 billion in-game trading industry. We will also be discussing some observations from the recent EOS DAX snapshot slash airdrop, as well as some upcoming and ongoing EOS and Block 1 events and milestones. And to wrap up, we're going to take a deep dive into the most buzzworthy EOS DAP announced to date, Everipedia. So that's going to be our episode today. There's obviously a lot of contention in the EOS community over this recent WAX announcement. And if you're not familiar, uh, Zach, what really happened with that? What did they announce? So essentially, WAX announced that they were going it, it to... It seemed like good news at first. They right. said, we're going to use EOS to build our platform out. And th this is a company that's running on Ethereum right now. They, I'm, I'm not sure how long they've been in production, but everyone saw the headline saying Wax will be building on EOS. Yep. So everyone got excited. But upon further observation, what they're going to be doing is they're going to be forking EOS and building a custom chain with their own block producers. Um, and, and they have some other things outside of block producers. Um, that aren't part of the EOS platform itself. And that's actually the reason they said that they had to fork and build their own blockchain uh, from it was because of certain specifics that they needed to accomplish with their blockchain EOS couldn't provide yet. Yeah, and I think it centered, I did a little more research on that, and I think it centered around governance. They weren't happy with the EOS governance model as it related to their platform with like guild voting is what they call it on guild, their platform. That was, that was the word I couldn't think so of. So they, they couldn't just apparently implement it in a smart contract. They need to actually change the governance like from the, the core layer. So it'll be totally separate from the EOS blockchain. It'll be their own blockchain that just happens to use the EOS software as kind of a base layer. Um, so I can understand why people are upset about it. Obviously, you know, for some context, this happens all the time with Ethereum, with Bitcoin, with pretty much every major crypto project. Because these things are open source projects, that means anybody can take the code and use it for anything that they want. So this is not the first time it's happened, and it certainly won't be the last. But I can understand why people are upset because they initially thought, oh, cool, look, Wax is going to build on the EOS main chain. Oh, wait, actually, no, they're not. You know, The token holders won't benefit at all. So I, I think... The thing most people are concerned about is they want their free tokens. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's been under the assumption that everyone who builds on EOS is going to give us a free airdrop token. And we've even talked about that ourselves. But um, the projects that you could probably assume you'll get an airdrop for are going to be, be the ones funded by Block One's VC partner companies. Exactly. So Everpedia will be the first one of that that's actually doing an airdrop from money that was given to them by Block One. Yeah, whereas Wax, they, they raised an ICO a while ago. They already have their own token holders. They already have a distributed network of users. Um, so, so it's 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 a little bit different, um, but but it's good because in the blog post itself, I read through it the other day, and they explained they looked into every other blockchain platform to serve the, their needs, and they chose EOS and said it was 
above and beyond what all of the other blockchains could do. And they selected EOS because it was the absolute best one. Yeah, that was the most bullish statement to me and of everything was that they looked at Neo, Lisk, Arc, basically every other platform and said, okay, EOS is the only one as a technology that can support what they want to do. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens from now on to see like why people will will choose their own chain versus a main chain. Because there are obviously a lot of benefits that Wax would get from a main chain EOS that they're now losing um, the biggest one being decentralization. Like now, instead of using the block producers that are securing and validating transactions on the main EOS blockchain, they're going to have to get their own 121 block producers and and set up that chain and make sure that they're all you know running the proper infrastructure and and doing all that. So it'll be interesting to see if Wax maybe in the future comes back and figures out how to build those those features that they need on EOS, maybe as a, a linked side chain through interchain communication, or if they will stay on their own sort of side chain. So the other thing everyone needs to consider is block one. Was was aware of this the entire time, um, and I think that was part of the reason the community was a little bit uh, taken aback by it. Yeah, was I, I have a screenshot here of what was said in a Reddit post, and um, the Waxio uh, representative on Reddit said, "Correct, we'll be working with the core dev team over at EOS." Yeah. So th- they were the community was a little bit thrown back by why is block one helping this company if this company is building their own fork that's not going to benefit the ES mainnet. Um, and, and we'll get into that a, a little bit later. We're going to talk about what, what happens with block one after the mainnet launch because they've said we're going to build the software similar to Linux. Linux is an open source software that anyone could download and use free. But there's also something called Red Hat Linux, which is more of like a, a proprietary version. And the creators of Linux actually provide uh, cons- consultation and development on Linux. And that, that's how they monetize it. Yeah, I have a lot of theories about this, actually. I don't think this is as simple as it appears, right? So like yeah. Block One has now almost $3 billion from the crowd sale. That is like all their money. They get to keep mm-hmm. that money. They can do whatever they want with it. So they don't need any additional kind of consulting dollars to do something like this. So I have a couple theories that, uh, like, why why would somebody with $3 billion take their limited amount of resources, dedicate them to some other company that's not even building on a main chain just to get a little bit more money? There's stuff that we don't know. Yeah, I think it honestly comes down to two things. I think the first is a case study so that Block One can go to people who say, hey, we want to use your tech. They'll be able to say, here's how much it costs Wax to implement their own blockchain using our software. It'll be some insane amount of money, some insane amount of development resources. Um, and then they'll be able to compare that to like a DAP, say, Everipedia that launches on the EOS main chain. And they'll say, hey, which one do you want to do? You can do the much cheaper option. It's much easier. It's much cheaper. It's much more secure. And they'll have that kind of case study. But I also think from a legal perspective, this protects Block One even more in terms of not launching EOS and not making anything a security because they truly are now supporting multiple implementations of this software, not just one EOS main chain. So uh, uh, I think that, it helps th- them there too. That makes a great point. So after uh, the community launches the mainnet this June, EOS has been stating the whole time that they will play no part in launching the mainnet. And what Rob just said makes perfect sense because if there's multiple chains going on and they're supporting all of them, then you can't really hold them accountable for any one of them. Because and, and you definitely can't hold them accountable for all of them because they might not be involved with every single fork. Yeah. So that, that does make a, a lot of sense. Um, I guess to finish up on Wax, I thought another funny thing in the ES 
uh, Reddit community was people uh, proposing let's fork wax and build it on the EOS mainnet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I tweeted something similar, not about wax, but about other projects the other day which I think is pretty interesting. We're going to see people go to, say, their favorite Ethereum dApp, and if you can convert that over as a Solidity developer, if you can convert that ETH dApp to an EOS dApp in a week, there are going to be people who take existing open-source ICOs and convert them to EOS without the the creators of that's permission. That's the benefit. So it, it's good and bad for open-source. Yeah. People can steal, steal your work, borrow your work, whatever you want to call it. Um, What's going to be interesting is in the governance model of EOS, there's going to be a worker proposal system. Yeah. So let's say I'm a blockchain developer. I'll be able to submit a proposal to the EOS community saying, okay, I want to take this Ethereum project. I'll say Bancor, just since they've already ported. I, I, I'm going to propose that I want to convert Bancor from an Ethereum project to an EOS project, and I think it's going to take six months to do and I estimate that it's going to cost 10,000 EOS. And that's my proposal. It'll be a lot more detailed than that. I'll have to obviously tell you more about myself and my team. Right. But then the EOS community is going to see a list of these proposals, and they'll be able to vote whether or not they want to fund that. Yeah, and this is the craziest thing. Basically, what's happened is block producers were originally going to be the ones, I think, making these decisions on funding um, which dApps to fund. But what's happened is that Block One has come out and said, okay, we actually only want 1% of that total inflation to go to block producers, and the rest in a fund that then the token holders vote on. So they alone can, the community alone can now vote on where those funds go, which I think is a much better model rather than leaving it in the hands of just like 20 people to, to control it all. So if you think about the amount of money, though, that can, can pour into dApps because of this, if the token price in the future is at $100, it's a $100 billion market cap, 4% of that is going to go to this worker proposal fund. So that's $4 billion yeah. that's going to go to funding dApps and projects and, and educational curriculums, all kinds of stuff to build on EOS, which uh, if it's allocated properly and spent in a, in a you know, a really wise way, and it's not just wasted. I think this could do a lot for the platform. Hundred percent agree. I, I think the the biggest uproar was really from people that didn't look at the big picture. Yeah. I think we're looking at it with the half glass full lens, and, and looking at the good side of it. They they love the technology. They chose it. That doesn't mean in the future they can't join the mainnet. There, there's a lot of variables, but I think a lot of the negativity was. From the community who doesn't see the big picture, and they're they're just looking at it from maybe in a monetary standpoint yeah. or from a standpoint that wants a free airdrop. Well, I think a lot of people saw this and they went, "Oh no! Like the main chain is dead. Everybody's going to launch their own chain." Yeah. But if you think about it, everybody, including Block One, is incentivized to launch some kind of main chain and have that main chain as the single main chain. Don't forget, Block One has ten percent. They have a hundred million EOS tokens that are coming to them once this thing goes live, vested over ten years. So they're incentivized more than anybody else, arguably, to to make sure that all of the DApps that they're funding through the VC program are building on that one main chain rather than other separate. Yeah. Chains. So th- there's no worries here. Yeah. I mean, I mean, whether Brock Pierce's uh, number of a thousand DApps around the time of launch is true or not, if there's going to be a thousand DApps that are funded through uh, the ESVC funds, then those are all going to be on the main net. There, there's no worries here. There, there's plenty of room for forks and whatever, but the main net's always going to be very strong. The main net is funded by what, almost four, five, three billion dollars? So far, three, yeah, and yeah. The the one last comparison I'll make is this feels very similar to like uh, the the enterprise Ethereum alliance. 
um, that all those big companies, MasterCard, Visa, a bunch of other huge companies basically came together and formed this enterprise Ethereum alliance. And the Ethereum community for a long time thought these people were building on mainnet Ethereum, but in reality, they were all just building their own private chains. So this feels very similar where some corporations may come in, even you know, even if it's not through an alliance, may come in and say, hey, we like the EOS tech, we're going to build our own private chain because there are still needs for for private blockchains. There's still use cases for private blockchains in some ways. So it feels very similar to that, where obviously the Ethereum mainnet still thrived, um, but you did, of course, have these other companies building their own private versions of it. And I guess getting back into people's expectations about airdrops, um, EOS DAC actually yeah. uh, took their snapshot. Uh, was it last Saturday or the Saturday before? Uh, I believe it was last Saturday. It was the 15th. Oh, I think it was Sunday, actually. This, Sunday this, for us. It was this past week. I'm so confused on time. I, um, yeah. But if, if you've been watching the charts, you, you probably noticed that EOS for a day or two had more volume than Ethereum, everything but Bitcoin, I believe. Yeah, it was number two in volume, even above Tether, I think, which is crazy. Because even Ethereum usually doesn't pass Tether in volume. Yeah, and we, we've talked about the airdrops. Like, don't, don't get us wrong. Like, we, we see the value in airdrops. We want them too. Everyone wants airdrops. But we're just of the understanding that not everyone's going to give them to us, and that's fine. But this is the first big... Airdrop because they, I think ESDAC did a really good job of marketing. Like yeah. the average investor, somehow everyone knew about this. Um, that the EOS Telegram channels were getting swamped yeah, with people crazy. asking about it. Everyone with their hands out. But that's what we're gonna <laughs> see when this mainnet launches. And more and more DApps announced that they've received funding from the VC partners, oh, and they will be doing airdrops. Could could you imagine that? Like the volume we oh saw in God. just two days from from a, a, an airdrop that might have no value. Yeah. Like, well, can you EOS, explain what EOS DAC even is for the people who aren't familiar? Yeah. So EOS DAC is basically so of the 121 block producers that are going to secure the network, secure the EOS network. EOS DAC is setting up basically a community-owned block producer. So that's what EOS DAC is ultimately. So they took 75% of their I think 1.2 billion tokens that they're printing and gave them out to EOS holders on a one-to-one basis. So if you had a thousand EOS, you got a thousand EOS DAC, and you'll be able to use those EOS DAC tokens to vote on different proposals to vote on you know, infrastructure upgrades, to vote on if they should give out rewards to the token holders, to vote on all kinds of stuff. So basically, you have some kind of governance stake in that block producer. So that's what it is. So, so people were uh, wanting this free token from the airdrop make, with the assumption that uh, this block producer is going to get voted in and actually monetize itself so that the, this token has future value. And that's not even a guarantee I, I think uh, the token's already trading on, I think, Fork Delta or something it's called. Um, it was trading at about $0.02, cents, and I read somewhere it was up to $0.15. Cents. I've never even been on this website. I'm just going by what people said in the ESDAC uh, Telegram channel. Yeah, but, right now it looks like it's trading at $0.08.5. Cents. Somebody dumped um, a bunch yesterday, but $0.08.5 cents on IDEX, at least, which is another decentralized. But what's interesting system. is I don't think anyone's... Res- have they airdropped the tokens from the snapshot? Yeah, no, so I these haven't. are all tokens that were bought and sold from their... their they did like a previous bounty, and uh, which is probably where a lot of their marketing came from, was their bounty program and some of their giveaway program where you could mm-hmm. win 5,000 of these things. So that's where there, there are several million... At least, so if, this price is inflated because the supply is just incredibly oh yeah, the supply limited. Is, the supply is very limited. Nobody has gotten their their airdrops yet, so this is all just sort of pre trading. It'll so be interesting. That, to that's the happens. thing with all of these airdrops, though. So everyone gets excited, and the price obviously pumped. It was the day before Bitcoin recovered by a thousand dollars, and it, it pumped prey for a lot of reasons. But I, I think EOS DAC had something to do with it. Yeah. When when people hear free tokens, they think it adds a lot of value to EOS, which it does in, in the big picture. 
But um, like I think we've mentioned this before with Everipedia, they they received thirty million dollars of funding. Yeah. So if they were in a regular traditional ICO and they had a thousand or a billion tokens, that works out to about three cents a token. Exactly. So for every airdrop, you're looking at increasing. If we're saying that that airdrop adds value to the ES token, each one is going to be fractions of a cent to maybe a few cents. But yet, for whatever reason, the volume doubles and the price yeah. spikes by a dollar. Well, it's not to say that those tokens can't go on later and be later. worth oh, of you know, a significant amount of money if they reach their goal and yeah. become you know, successful. And if you're talking thousands of dApps, a, oh my a God. small well, percentage imagine, we're going to do really well. Yeah, if this is what one airdrop before the EOS mainnet even launches and then you can airdrop for free because you don't have to pay a transaction fee on every single mm-hmm. you know, drop you send out, once that launches and there's an airdrop happening every week. This is going to be it's going to be absolutely I can't wait. insane. I, I can't wait to just hear the data. Like I want to know what they're doing. Like yeah. I'm interested in what problems are they trying to solve. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think it's going to be incredibly interesting. So what what else has been going on in the community in Block One? Um, I think uh, release candidate two. Yeah, uh, has been announced for May fourth. I believe that's what it looks like. So um, release candidate two is sort of the the second more polished version that'll fix a lot of the bugs that are happening in the current. Dawn 3.0 testnet. Um, there are a lot of block producers I've talked to who are having some some issues over there. Still able to produce blocks and keep their you know node up for the majority of the time, but it's certainly not ready for that June first launch yet. So May fourth will give us that next more polished sort of more final version of the code. So as far as I understand, the testnet that block one is actually running right now is not running the most recent version of Dawn 3.0. Correct. I believe that's still running Dawn 2.0, but there are a lot of different uh, community testnets. One in particular, the Jungle testnet um, that I've seen a lot of work on uh, is is up to date with Dawn 3.0. So I, I think some of the other uh, big innovations with EOS is going to be their governance model. Yeah. So one of the cool things about EOS is they've, they've got many Telegram channels with different topics of conversation. And one of them that I can't follow completely every day is the governance channel, but there's so much going on. There, there's people, they're, they're not necessarily developers, but their sole focus is on governance. And they're, they're taking constitutions from countries all over the world and analyzing what's good, what's bad, how do we govern this decentralized system to make it work? Because this has never been yeah. done before, not successfully especially. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at any other major blockchain, governance is the one piece that always holds it back. Like if you think of the, the whole Bitcoin block size debate or even the, you know, implementing SegWit, that whole debate, it's because there's no formalized governance. All of the you know miners are the ones who ultimately control what happens and make the decision. So there's no governance process in place to come to an agreement or a disagreement on any kind of decision. Um, so with EOS, what I think is interesting about the Constitution is that Thomas Cox from Block One is kind of heading it up and you know taking feedback from the community on, on what he should include. But one of the most interesting things I read was that they're doing it um, I forget the specific term, but rather than writing a list of you know your freedoms and the things that you're guaranteed, they're writing a list of things that you shouldn't do or are not guaranteed so that it's very explicit what is not allowed, but kind of implies that everything else is allowed. So should we just start calling it the Ten Commandments of ES? Right. <laughs> thou shalt not be... kill, thou shalt not steal. <laughs> <laughs> I think it will be actually kind of similar to that, but also similar to, say, like the Bill of Rights in the U.S. where it has different articles. So, you know, Article 2 I saw recently... Um, uh, I forget what it dealt with, maybe arbitrage or something like that. But there will be all these all these different articles of the Constitution that that kind of make up the overall governance structure. And of course, the Constitution can be changed by you know a vote of the block producers who are then voted in by the token holders. So ultimately, the community can make changes to the Constitution if so they want. I guess to reel us back into why I mentioned governance yeah. is because something new that I saw the other day is EOS Go, who does a great job of publishing daily blogs uh, of screenshots going on in the Telegram community, makes it a lot easier to know what's going on. They actually just recently published part one of a three-part series that focuses strictly on governance conversations, a lot of it led by Thomas Cox, obviously. 
um, who, who's kind of heading up that program. But I, I thought that was great. I, I'm, I'm looking forward Definitely. to part two and part three uh, because I can't keep up on everything all the time. Yeah. And EOS Go, I, I can't commend them enough on how Absolutely. much they help me stay up to date myself. Yeah, I use EOS Go as well. Their, their Telegram recaps are, are you know, a godsend, so you don't have to read through all of the thousands <laughs> of messages. So that's been super helpful. But the governance was interesting. I read part of that post with um, you know, EOS New York was in there. A bunch of other people were in there sort of discussing their concerns. And one of the biggest concerns was that um, there's a huge amount of block producers launching in China. And there's some interesting talk about you know, collusion between those block producers and how do you prevent that and how do you prevent them from buying votes and, and all this stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in part two and part three of that series. Uh, something else that was cool recently, we could actually play some sound clips here in a minute. Um, last month, Dan Larimer actually gave a seminar at Virginia Tech, which he's an alumni of. Uh, he gave a, a blockchain seminar, and it was just recently posted the other day on on YouTube by by Block One and EOS. And he he went through his whole speech. It wasn't a whole lot of, of new stuff during the seminar if you've been following EOS. But what was really interesting was at the end some of the Q and A and the, and the questions some of the students and and community yeah. asked, and how he answered them. And hearing how he answered them and also knowing different snippets of things he said in the Telegram channels of his plans after EOS launches on the mainnet, it, it was very interesting. So the first sound clip we'll play for you here, uh, the question asked was, if EOS IO is open source, how do you plan to make money in the future? We build vertical applications. Uh, on top of that, we'll be building a social media platform on top of blockchain. We'll be providing services to people who want to build apps like IBM will be providing consulting. There's all kinds of things we can do to make money. Basically, how does any company or database, how does MySQL make money? Uh, it's the same kind of thing, except the uh, types of applications that we're uh, reinventing or revolutionizing are very profitable. So I, I guess this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about how the Block One core dev team is helping Wax with their fork of, of the ES blockchain. Yeah. Essentially, what Block One will end up doing is becoming like a, a consulting company who consults with anyone that wants to use their open source software, whether it's whether it's the mainnet or a fork. They're willing to support you, and the, they can collect fees at an hourly rate. But what I think is actually going to happen is a lot of it's going to be funded by their own grants from the ICO funds. Yeah. So it's almost like free consulting, but. I think what they're trying to do is reach mass adoption. That, that's that's the thing that for any of these blockchain companies to succeed, they have to achieve mass network adoption. And interestingly enough, that was uh, the follow-up question that Dan was asked. He was asked, how do we get to mass adoption? What are the obstacles? Well, you have to create a system that's so viral in its own right that people will adopt it without being forced to adopt it. You create a new system and you move to the new system. So you create a social media platform that everyone wants to be a part of and it can govern itself so well that uh, people want to use the social media governance for more things and it just creeps into use naturally versus saying, hey, let's tear down the old and replace it with the new. You, you have to organically create something that can live within the current environment and make the older uh, techniques uh, redundant and eventually unnecessary. 
And this is really interesting, Rob, because Dan has Dan invented Steemit. Yeah. So I guess for any listener who's not aware of what Steemit is, you want to explain it for them? Yeah, so Steemit is the first blockchain-based social network. It's basically a decentralized Reddit. If you use reddit.com or you upvote and downvote people, it's that, but decentralized and totally on a blockchain. Um, so what's interesting about it, and the, the most notable thing, is that if you, say, make a post in one of the, you know, the what would effectively be a subreddit, but one of the, the subsections, um, and you get upvoted to the, the front page and you get a ton of upvotes, you're going to actually make real money, sometimes thousands of dollars, um, just for making that post because each upvote actually allocates a portion of the block reward to you. So you're getting paid by the blockchain to contribute content to the blockchain. And, and, and Dan Larimer in, invented the, this software. It, it's delegated proof of stake, and he, he did it in two months, actually. Yeah, that's what's so crazy about it. <laughs> so, and, and in the Telegram channels, he's mentioned that he, he wants to build a better Steam in the future. And, and him quoting this and saying, block one, one of the first things on the roadmap after the mainnet launch is to build their own social media platform. Yeah. So think about the stuff that's going on with Facebook right now where, where data is front and center. What are they doing with my user data? I have no idea. But if your data was tokenized, oh yeah, you control your data. Well, imagine if if they could put out a system, put a system out that first of all doesn't have transaction fees, so your mom can sign up for it. It's just like she's signing up for Facebook. She has no idea she's even using a blockchain. But then you tell her, hey, if your post goes viral, if you get a lot of likes on your post, you're actually going to make real money. Plus, your data secure, or you can sell your data to somebody for more money. I think we're going to see a massive amount of people pour into something like that off of Facebook, especially now that they know what Facebook's doing with their data. The reason Facebook is Facebook is because of the net mass network effect. Yeah. If all of your friends and family weren't on Facebook, you wouldn't be on Facebook either. Exactly. And they have no competition. Dur- during um, Zuckerberg's grilling at the Senate hearing, <laughs> I forget what congressman really grilled him, but they're like, Mark, who, who's, your, who's your number one competitor? And he said, well, we 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 have multiple competitors in multiple categories, which which makes sense because like there's LinkedIn, there's Twitter, right. they compete in certain areas, but there's no competitor that competes on everything. And I, I think the world is ready for what that next thing is. Definitely, it just hasn't been invented yet. But but to go back to what what Dan said is. What you have to do is you have to have a way to, to get these people who aren't blockchain enthusiasts, they, they don't care about blockchain, they, they just want a better system. And to, to get them to adopt it and, and create accounts on it, if, if block one is successful with building like what would look like a Facebook 2.0, any account created on it would actually most likely be a global account that would work across all EOS dApps. Mm-hmm. So if you sign up for, let's, I'll keep calling it Facebook 2.0, even though I'm sure <laughs> it'll have a different name. Dan's called it Steam 2.0, and I'm sure it won't be called Steam. Right. But anyone who creates an account on it, your grandma who creates an account on Facebook 2.0, just because she wants to see your cat pictures, she's going to have an EOS wallet now. Yeah. She's going to be able to contribute to consensus votes. That, that, that's interesting, too, is... Every website you sign up for has terms and conditions right now, mm-hmm. and nobody reads them. But right. you, you, you trust the company. <laughs> so essentially what a constitution will be with EOS is terms and conditions. Yeah. And they're going to be customized for every different dap, every, every side, or I guess it wouldn't be a side chain, every other chain. Right. The main net, there's the main net, then there's all the interoperable. All the, yeah, all the interconnected chains. But they're... they're they're going to introduce governance to the general public. So step one is getting people to sign up for it. Mm-hmm. If, if it's a better Facebook, and 
to get the features, you're, you're talking about a, a whole world of developers who we've, we talked about the work proposal system earlier, right? So using that same governance model for the work proposals, let's say I'm a developer and there's a, a really cool feature that everyone wants on this Facebook or Twitter 2.0, but someone's got to build it. So hmm. with the governance model, I'd be able to propose, I think that you should be allowed to post videos, like let's say it's a text-only platform. Right. I'm going to build out the feature that allows videos to be embedded. And it's going to cost me this much EOS, take me this much time, this is my background, this is my team's background, let's fund it. So it's going to be the most feature-rich social media platform we've ever seen in our lives. Like We can't even imagine the features it's going to have because they haven't been invented yet. Well, and that's what's so cool. If you think about anytime Facebook makes a change, whether it's a change to the news feed or the algorithm or something like that, everybody's up in arms about, why did you change this? Why did you do this? But theoretically, with a decentralized version, version of Facebook, of Facebook 2.0 like we're talking about, you could have people using their own different interfaces to connect with the content. To, they would you know, be using the platform itself to be a community to make these decisions together. Yeah, but even, even if, say, the whole community doesn't agree, you could actually have, say, half of the people on one you know, version of the user interface and another half using a different version to access the same content. So because it's decentralized, right now, you know, if I said, hey, I want to design, I want to make Facebook look different and just use Facebook through a different UI, I'm not able to do it because it's totally closed source. Mm -hmm. But with an open source version, there could be 100 different websites that you could access that social content through and display it in a different way. And you can just kind of pick which one you want to use that that suits your, you know, your preference. I, I just thought it was super interesting how he specifically called out that we are going to build a social media platform yeah. because he's hinted at it so many times, but this is the first time I actually heard him outright say it. And well, if you think about it, it makes a ton of sense because first of all, Dan has experience doing it before with Steam. But also, if you think about Block One as what they really are, which is a DApp development company, that's what they're using a chunk of that those ten percent of tokens for is to get them um, bandwidth and, and computational stake on the EOS main chain. They're going to be building tons of DApp, so it only makes sense for them to come out with something that's going to get them a ton of headlines, like a Facebook replacement, before they launch their other DApps. And I, I, I can't wait. It's going to be a more secure version. And mass network adoption is pretty much what we're all waiting for. It, it's, it's been teased for years now. I think we're getting closer and closer. We're still probably a few years away. Uh, but, but it's coming. I, I think if this social media platform comes to fruition, whenever you create your account, like I said, it's probably going to be global across all the dApps. So you can think of it like a Facebook or a Google login, but it's going to work for every e-commerce site. You're not going to have to give up your personal information to anybody, and you'll, you'll be able to see who accesses it and when, and you could revoke that access at any time. Uh, it's going to introduce the general public to governance and decentralized organizations. Like you, you, you find someone on the street and say, "Have you ever heard of a decent a DAC or a DAO?" And th they'll look at you like, like you're, you're, <laughs> you're weird because it's so hard to understand these economic models because yeah. they've they've never been proven. These governance models, economic models, um, people are, people don't understand how even on Steemit, people who use Steemit. Um, if they're not blockchain savvy and savvy of DPoS, they don't understand where the money comes from. Right. But but the money comes through from an inflationary system. So nobody's actually paying for it. The network's paying for it. Exactly. And I, I think that's super cool. Uh, and I guess this would be a good transition into Everpedia because to get mass network adoption, you have to build something that everybody already needs, and you're just building a better version of what already exists. Exactly. Because if it's not better, then you're just going to keep using what already exists. So something that might 
you know, sort of fill that void is a decentralized Wikipedia. So Everpedia, which we've mentioned a couple times, we're finally going to talk about it on this episode, is exactly that. It's a decentralized Wikipedia that will be built completely on EOS um, and, and has a really interesting governance model on, you know, how changes are proposed, how new pages get added. There's a, a lot of really interesting things being done and a lot of really complex problems that Wikipedia has that are being solved by Everpedia. So you're, you're, you're one of the most familiar people with the project. You contribute on it. Um, their team is very experienced and their, their founder's really well known. I didn't realize yeah. he was the guy from Rap Genius or Genius now. Yeah. So, Mabod, uh, if I'm saying his name correctly, I asked somebody else and they said they didn't know how to pronounce it either. But anyway, Mabu or Mabod um, is the, the founder of Genius.com, formerly Rap Genius, where it was kind of this encyclopedia of rap lyrics and eventually all kinds of music lyrics. It's like the meaning behind the lyrics. Exactly. Like a crowdsource. So, you, you listen to a song and a song means something different to everybody. So the way I interpret a song is different than how Rob would interpret a song, but we're both allowed to add to this community resource. So you look up a song you like with the lyrics, and then it has everyone's opinions on like what the lyrics actually mean. And what's cool is then they even have the artist that wrote the lyrics come in sometimes and say what they meant to them. Like, why did you write this lyric? What does this mean, Jay-Z? And Jay-Z will write it out and say, oh, this is what this, you know, and this in is the streets thing website. means. this is a huge website. I'm not a user myself, yeah. but it, I, I know it's a very well-known site. They got bought out for a lot of money. So he, he's done this before. Like Dan Larimer with, with EOS, this isn't his first rodeo at building a, a, a global platform with actual u- a large, very large user base. Definitely. And if you think about another person on the Everypedia team that also has experience is Larry mm-hmm. Sanger, who's actually the co-founder of Wikipedia. He wrote the, the sort of, um, it's similar to a constitution. It's sort of like this culture doc almost for Wikipedia that he linked in the Everpedia chat. But he was instrumental over there, co-founded Wikipedia that we all use and know that Wikipedia. Yes, it is that one. Um, and was so excited about Everpedia and sort of the changes um, that they were making to Wikipedia, the problems they were solving, that he decided to join the team last year. So what are some of the biggest problems with Wikipedia that are being solved with Everpedia? So two main things. It comes down to censorship and then what's called the notability rule. So censorship is pretty you know, obvious. There are countries all around the world, even the U.S., the U.K., countries everywhere, pretty much every country in the world censors Wikipedia in some way. I think uh, I read Turkey and Iran both block Wikipedia. Yeah, Turkey, Iran, North Korea, I think China also blocks Wikipedia completely. So you can't even access any of the content. And the goal of Wikipedia or any wiki is it's like a global encyclopedia. It's, It's the world's knowledge being shared to the rest of the world. And that's what it's trying to accomplish. But through, through censorship, they could, they could hide the world's knowledge from a, a particular group. People in North Korea probably don't have access to the outside world, so therefore exactly. they live in their bubble and accept it. Well, and it happens here too. I mean, there are things that, especially during the last election on both sides, where, you know, regardless of which political affiliation you hold, on both sides, things are being taken down, being censored, incorrect info was put up. So it's a problem in, in the U.S. as well, not just in places like Iran and, and North Korea. Um, so censorship is the main one. Obviously, if you put something on a blockchain, it's totally immutable. Anybody can access it from anywhere in the world, and they'll be able to get this data. Um, but the second one, which is probably the most interesting part of all of this, was what's called a notability rule. So if you've never tried to actually you know, submit a page for yourself or your business or whatever it may be to Wikipedia, if you've never tried to do that, you've probably never encountered this, and most people don't know it exists. But the notability rule basically says that a certain percent of people have to know what this article is when they see it, or else we're not going to list it, <laughs> which is so weird. It seems so backwards to me that 
you know, you should be putting new knowledge on this platform that people don't know so that they can learn rather than just knowledge of people that already exist. So for example, Brad Pitt, according to Wikipedia, is somebody who is notable enough because he's known worldwide to be on the platform. But Dan Larimer, say, who's with EOS, may not be because you know people may not know who he actually is. So they won't publish his page. So what this actually results in is that 99 out of every 100 articles submitted to Wikipedia are deleted. And, and who, who is in charge of this? Like, who decides? Because it? it's a nonprofit. They're not a huge company themselves. They rely on, like, volunteer editors, right? Exactly. So it's, it's basically a centralized governance model where all of these different editors have the power to approve edits, remove edits, make their own edits based on how many edits they've made in the past. So what Everpedia does also is it sort of solves that data accuracy and, and almost data corruption issue where there's a new governance model where you have to stake tokens if you want to make a change. And then if this randomized group of people that also own tokens approve your change, you'll get a token reward, you'll get the tokens that you staked back. But it prevents bad actors and it prevents you know a lot of the centralization that happens with Wikipedia with a very small group of people controlling all of the information. And I think going back to having a global account level for the EOS blockchain is... If you're gonna be a troll on Everipedia and and or like on a, a Yelp or something, like give fake false ratings and just troll everyone, you're gonna ruin your reputation across the entire internet 3.0 because you're not. There, there's eventually gonna be a time when almost at the global account level. Like they might require a KYC, and you can't create a second account. Right. So if you ruin your reputation, that follows you around for life. It's just like in real life with a criminal record. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's really cool, and and I think it's gonna the account the global account level. I think is gonna solve so many problems, and I could see how it relates to this with with you just saying that. Like your state, not only you're staking tokens, but you're staking your reputation also. Definitely. I mean, I just think that out of all of this, you know, beyond the governance, beyond the censorship, what excites me the most is removing that notability rule. So if you think Wikipedia right now has about five million different articles on it, they they've deleted another. Based on that notability rule, they've deleted another 495 million articles because people submit them and they, they decline 99 out of 100. So Wikipedia would be 100 times larger than it is now and have 500 million articles instead of 5 million if that rule didn't exist. So already, Everpedia has sort of automatically imported all of the content from Wikipedia into Everpedia. And when a new article is added to Wikipedia, if it's not already on Everpedia, it gets added automatically. But what's cool is that in the short time that it's been live in sort of the centralized version before the EOS blockchain launches, they've already added a million new articles. Wow. So Everpedia already has 20% more content than Wikipedia does. Rob, do your cats have their own Everpedia pages? <laughs> not yet, but that's a good idea. I'll make a note. I think I, I, I joined the, uh, when I signed up for the account, I haven't done any contributions yet, but I did join the Facebook group. And that's what people, I think everyone's first Everpedia page is the page for themselves definitely and then followed by probably their cats or dogs yeah i have a page for myself for ico alert for some other things but my my big project now the reason why i haven't posted on there in a couple weeks is because i'm going through ancestry.com and compiling a bunch of data about my ancestors because i really have no idea you know my my dad may know something about my grand grandma that my mom doesn't and, and vice versa so i'm trying to compile all of that data and make an everipedia page for all of my ancestors and kind of link them together in this cool family tree that will then exist for you know 10 10 generations from now my great 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 grandkids should be able to look at that and go oh wow you know we know that this is That's an accurate cool. representation of our great 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 grandfather because it's on this block so it's literally going to become a, a, a i mean a better world encyclopedia because yeah. you just mentioned like your, your family tree and genealogy.com or whatever that's siloed data yeah so it's taking all of this siloed information and putting it in one place and that's 
I, what most people think of Wikipedia as currently anyway, it's just a lot of people don't know about this notability rule that you just mentioned. Well, and that's where the name Everpedia actually comes from. They're trying to make it the Everypedia, right? If you think about even, you know, video games have their own wikis, like Wowpedia for World of Warcraft is this whole giant million plus article thing about this one single game. Wow. They're trying to take all of these different wikis around the world and sort of combine them into one giant Everypedia or every single Pedia. What so. about, so we're, we're talking about uh, contributing data to Everypedia. What about for the end user? Because not everyone's going to want to actually be an editor and contribute information to the platform. So what, what benefit would the end user see who's just Googling for information and comes across Everypedia articles? Yeah, theoretically, the end user should get data that they know is more accurate. You know, if you think about when you were in high school and college, your teacher always says, don't use Wikipedia as a source because <laughs> you don't know if it's accurate because any dude out there can, can go in and change it. When I was it. in high school, you couldn't use any website as a really? source <laughs> because it could be fake. That's hilarious. Yeah, but in college, there's definitely no Wikipedia. Yeah. It's still probably a big no-no. But if you think about this change, putting it on a blockchain, having this whole governance and verification process for this information, theoretically, Everpedia could become the trusted source where everybody, your college professor says, hey, you have to cite your sources with Everpedia because we know <laughs> that it's legit. So that's really where the end user benefits is the lack of censorship and uh, the increased accuracy of data. What about visually? It, it, don't they do more like media content sort of? Yeah, it's definitely more visually appealing. You know, some of the pages have huge images on them that make them look more like big website landing pages. But what's cool about it and what a lot of people don't know is that Everypedia itself and the IQ token is more of a protocol than a decentralized app. So anybody, if you're listening out there, it includes you, is able to essentially build their own front-end version that can then access the content on Everypedia. So if I wanted, if I owned Wowpedia, the World of Warcraft Encyclopedia, and I wanted to build that on Everpedia, I could batch import all of my content into Everpedia and still have my own wowpedia.com access all that data. So they're going to be really cool apps really cool. that we haven't even thought of yet that build on Everpedia, on EOS, and sort of use that protocol layer, that knowledge layer to, to you know power their dApps. So you mentioned the IQ token, and we've mentioned it in past episodes because of the airdrop. And I, I guess to, to recap for anyone who hasn't been listening for the first couple episodes, um, Everpedia is actually the first uh, Block One VC funded uh, DAP that's been announced. They received $30 million. Was it yep. from Galaxy? Or I believe it was from, from Mike Novogratz at Galaxy Digital. Okay. $30 million in funding for their project. And what, what they're doing is, they're, they're, since they're funded through this VC who was funded through the EOS ICO, um, and, instead of people buying these tokens, they're being... Uh, distributed to every EOS token holder. So if you own an EOS token, you now own an EOS token and an IQ token. Um, so there were a lot of questions about what the IQ token's utility would be um, because there wasn't a white paper yet. Uh, usually you don't announce an ICO until you have a white paper, but right. in this case, they announced themselves before they even had a white paper. They announced everyone was going to get this token, but no one knew what this token <laughs> was going to do, but they were all really excited yeah. about it. And so uh, they came out with the white paper. I, have, I haven't yep. dug too deep into it. Um, what's the IQ token going to do? So the IQ token pretty much exclusively is used as a governance mechanism and as a reward mechanism. So basically the, the way it works is if I want to make an edit to a page, I have to stake a certain amount of tokens. So I'll say, you know, just to use an arbitrary number, I'll take 10 IQ tokens, send them into a smart contract along with my edit. And that's basically to prevent, you know, bad actors, prevent spam. So if I'm if I'm changing this to incorrect data and the community catches it, I'll lose those 10 tokens as kind of a punishment. But if 50% of the people in this randomized jury that sort of, you know, vote on whether or not my edit is legitimate or not, if 50% of people say yes, this is legitimate, then it gets published and I get my 
10 IQ tokens back. But if 75 or more percent of people say, yes, this is legit, if you get the super majority, um, then you get your 10 tokens back plus new tokens that come from a daily token pool. So how do, how do they kind of cap it? So you said uh, uh, that was probably just an arbitrary number of 10, but what if you had a bunch of IQ tokens and you just wanted to stake the whole stack for a, a fact that's very well known? Like Donald Trump won the 2000. Six, was it 16, seven, 16 election? 16, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a fact. No one's going to argue that. So I'm staking millions of tokens. I'm not sure if you can change the amount of tokens you're staking per edit or if it's just a flat amount per edit. Um, but I do know that you can stake tokens on a particular topic and have edit authority over it. So for example, with my family pages that I'm creating, I want to make sure that somebody's not coming in and entering incorrect data and tampering with that. So I could stake a ton of IQ tokens on those pages and basically have a significant amount of authority, still not complete control, but I can have you know more authority over those pages than, say, other pages on the network. So I, I guess that solves a problem of, like you said, trustworthiness of, of the information read on the encyclopedia, because if you're not 100% sure that whatever you want to post could be fact-based, then you're not going to really want to stake your tokens on it. Um, but I guess going back to how the notability role and how I, I can make a page about my cat. Mm-hmm. So my, my cat's scared of vacuum cleaners. <laughs> but if on my Everopedia page I, I stake my tokens, I say my cat loves vacuum cleaners. It loves riding on the Roomba. How, how, how does that get fact verified? Who, whenever that post gets approved, how's it actually going to get fact checked? See, in most cases when you make an article, you have to cite your source. So it can't be something like that. Um, you could probably get away with it with posting something about your cat and its preferences, but generally you need to cite your source. So like if it's about Bill Gates and he said, Bill Gates hates pasta, you would have to link to an article or a quote, you know, from another source that actually says Bill Gates hates pasta and is like a a real factual source. So it's all backed up just like Wikipedia is with sources. Everpedia is the same way. I have another note here that uh, it refers to like the talk pages and discussion threads among editors. I, I've never been an editor on Wikipedia or Everpedia, but I'm assuming that whenever there's something in question, they discuss it amongst themselves. Uh, since I haven't actually been an editor on Everpedia, could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, and I'm not a master editor where I don't think I have access to that yet. I'm just kind of a, a base Okay. basic editor, but I know I do have a sort of a message inbox where I can talk with other people. When a new user posts something, I can go in and see their post and give them feedback on it. Um, but the master editors really are the ones who are going in and sort of um, doing quality control almost on new people that join the platform. So if somebody new joins and they post 100 articles, uh, the system's going to say, hey, wait a minute, we're not going to publish this until master editors approve it. And that's just for now. Um, as soon as that actual you know, the actual platform launches on EOS in June. We'll have the totally decentralized version, but right now the master editors are kind of um, filling that void. So it, it seemed like, from what I read, that the back end of Wikipedia, if you're an editor, it seems kind of terrible of how yeah. the conversations actually go down. Whereas with Everpedia, it'll be more like what you're used to on like a, a forum or a social media platform, where it's more. Interactive, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. And it's important to note that the current interface is still their old interface. They have a totally new interface that they're planning on launching with the decentralized version that should be dramatically better than this one is now because it still has some bugs, still some issues. It's still kind of in that beta uh, mode and it is their older version. Um, but the decentralized one should should be awesome. And like I said, anybody can build an interface to access this content. So if the one that they release isn't good enough, I'm sure somebody else will build one what, that what is. What about, um, I guess, duplicating content? So you're, you're, you have an ability to earn IQ tokens by producing content that could be fact-based and backed up by, by references. But what if you just got that content from somewhere else? Because I know 
every English page from Wikipedia has already been ported over and expanded upon to Everipedia. Yeah. So that's all duplicate content. So no one, does anyone actually get paid for that? Can Nobody I- gets paid for that. That's through a, a, a Everipedia editor named uh, Wikibot, I believe is what it is. So none of that gets paid. They don't get an IQ score or any IQ tokens for doing that. And the reason why they're allowed to copy it is because Wikipedia is totally open source with, I think, a Creative Commons license or an MIT license or something like that that allows anybody to take that content and put it anywhere else. But when it comes to copy and pasting other things, um, if you're copy and pasting work that does not have the the license that gives you the ability to do that, then you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to have to write it in your own words and then cite the source. Um, but for pretty much any wiki out there, and check on it before you start importing content, but a lot of wikis I've looked at have that you know, Creative Commons license and allow you to, to use that content freely. So for anyone listening that wants to, I guess, sign up for Everpedia now, since it's not on a blockchain, it's still like a centralized system, but it, it's better than Wikipedia already. It's just not distributed yet. Is it, Are you able to earn future IQ tokens today, even though the tokens don't exist? There's no, no. Like, accounting or anything right now? No. So right now, any of the IQ score that you get on the website does not actually turn into tokens. It's more just to you know get involved if you're interested. It's actually really, really addicting to submit content. I started documenting uh, World of Warcraft server populations, as nerdy <laughs> as it is, and talking about some of their history and when they launched. And um, I got like 20,000 IQ points you out of it. You were the top contributor for like a week straight, weren't you? For a couple weeks, yeah. A couple I was, weeks. I don't know if I was top. There's a couple people who do it every day and oh, wow. post tons and tons of content. They have like millions of IQ score. But I got a decent amount. Those won't turn into tokens. But after the decentralized version launches in June, you can get tokens. But if you're interested, I highly encourage you to fill out the contact form on Everpedia's website, uh, everpedia.org, E-V-E-R. R-I-P-E-D-I-A.org. What, what about the air? Is there a date or time frame plan for the airdrop yet? Uh, all, all they've said is after the mainnet launches. So okay. sometime after June, I imagine they'll do it. Who knows if it'll be in June or later or what, but I, I would guess June. So I, th- I think reeling it back in, this all comes down to how do we achieve network effect and mainstream adoption. Yeah. And I don't know a single person who is younger than my grandparents that has never used Wikipedia before. Yeah. So it's a, it's always one of the first results on Google because it's a trusted so- Wikipedia is a trusted source whether it's trusted in like like we were talking about or not yeah. is is another thing but it, most people generally trust it they use it as kind of like a starting point to do further research it's like a summary of whatever topic you're looking at so I, I think the two biggest use cases to get this mainstream adoption is going to, like, like you said, Everpedia or better Wikipedia. If something could be better than Wikipedia, and then a social media platform because that that's something people are already using. They're already used to it, but they're not going to adopt anything new unless it's better. Definitely, and I think we're going to see that network effect come from a, a bunch of different apps, a bunch of different areas. What's interesting, what I noticed is, you know, us talking about open source in general. It's interesting to see Wax taking the EOS code and sort of using that, and it won't benefit the EOS holders. But then on the flip side, to see Everpedia taking something from Wikipedia, which is open source, <laughs> and using that to benefit the EOS token holder. So there's going to be a lot on yeah. both sides. But I think that's an interesting comparison. Just like to, we to said earlier, out. like people can fork EOS all they want to build their own blockchain, but. I don't know if it's a joke or not, but there's nothing stopping you from forking anyone who forked Diaz and fork them back. Yeah, exactly. Like it's going to be really. I don't think that was a joke. I really, think I think there are going to be community proposals in that worker proposal fund that that not only bring DApps like Wax onto EOS on the main chain, but also bring existing Ethereum DApps onto. So EOS. that might put a lot of pressure on the core dev teams of these projects who. 
it's kind of like a well-known fact that they're very frustrated with the scalability of Ethereum. Yeah. They have these great ideas, these innovative ideas, but they can't prove them because they, they can't do it at scale. They're stuck working on a test net. And I, I've seen plenty of ICOs that they run their smart contract for their token distributions on their test networks. Great. Then the day of their ICO distribution, everything's all bogged down. Their community's angry. Yeah. They're screaming, saying this team's incompetent. <laughs> but meanwhile, everything worked on the test net. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is going to be awesome. I, I can't wait, man. A yeah. month and a half. I'm so excited. There are only 46 or 45 periods left in the ICO, and then this thing's going to launch. So it's pretty crazy. Can't wait. All right, I think that's a, a good point to wrap it up here, Rob. Um, thank you all for tuning in again. Uh, this is the Everything EOS podcast by ICO Alert. I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS. Everything EOS.